So recently I had a conversation with uh, some of the team members at NutriSense to understand what it means exactly using a blood glucose monitor. What are the benefits of having it? Why would a person decide to use it? So any kind of frequently asked questions which I get on social media, I decided to present it forward to them so that they can give me some answers so that you guys can get a benefit from it. This conversation which took place with NutriSense has been recorded and um, I hope you guys find it useful. So we wanted to uh, meet with you to see if you had any questions for the dietitian, kind of go over any information that you were curious about regarding your CGM or the NutriSense app and uh, kind of give you that time to discuss. Yeah. Um... I think first time using the app, it takes a little while to navigate your way around it. Mm -hmm. um, I was totally confused. <laughs> um, they've got lots of different numbers for, you know, when your blood glucose measure goes up. And what is it measured in exactly? Milligrams per deciliter. Yeah. Okay, that's it. I was <laughs> like, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an American metric. <laughs> Yeah. And what I found quite fascinating was I, I think I Googled it because I didn't understand what it meant. And uh, yeah, just as you said there, uh, milligrams per deciliter, there were some parameters where there was like a minimal and, you know, certain levels where it's considered quite unhealthy. And I saw numbers as high as 200. And they were like, yeah, you want to try and remain out this zone, 250, 300. And I'm like, I had some bad days yeah. and it only achieved about 160. I was thinking, how are people getting up there? <laughs> what are they eating? Yeah. So it made me question, is that something to do with my body's own ability to metabolize foods and stuff like that and metabolic flexibility yeah i think it probably has a huge part to do with that you're just very physically fit and physically active so like there's kind of four metrics that help us control our glucose and one of the biggest ones is being physically active and the more muscle mass you have the better you're able to dispose of glucose because our glucose can be stored in two places one in stored in the form of glycogen it can be stored in your liver and it can be stored in your muscles. Your liver can only be so big. There's only so much storage space there, but our muscles can technically be unlimited storage space. So the more physically active you are and the more lean muscle mass you have, the more room there is for glucose that's coming in from a meal, maybe that's kind of bad or high carb or high sugar, it can get dispersed faster and out of the bloodstream. And then so you'll have a smaller spike if you have more muscle mass. Would it be the same if I was uh, really physically active in the morning and then I decide to have a, a pretty crazy meal afterwards? Would that then mean the spike will be kind of diluted slightly kind of thing? Yeah, a little bit. It's, it's always going to be kind of on a scale of how much, but... There is a lot of research that says even just one hard workout can increase your insulin sensitivity for up to 48 hours. So kind of a rule I always tell people who maybe like kind of struggle to get themselves to go to the gym. It's like, okay, try not to skip two days in a row. At least just try to go every other day because you can at least kind of help out all that glucose and insulin sensitivity. Okay. Would you say it's better to do a resistance training or a cardio before to increase your um, 
sensitivity. Yeah, most likely resistance training, although honestly all forms of exercise show to be beneficial. And the best is really the one that somebody's actually going to do, so finding what they actually like. But resistance training has really unique benefits in that it does help build that lean muscle mass, which is where all our glucose stores are. So Cool, cool, cool. So I didn't record all of the times when I had eaten. Um, I guess sometimes you just want to eat your food and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to think, oh, let me just record it on this app. Yeah. But I find it quite fascinating every time I checked to see how my body responded to certain foods. Um, I think the first time I had the, uh, the uh, what do you call it? C, C what? CGM. CGM, yeah. I keep calling it blood glucose monitor, <laughs> CGM. Um, I think the first time I had that, uh, you know, um, installed or on my arm, I wanted to try and put as much information as possible. And I think it was probably at a worse time when I was at the airport and I had some issues with my flight and um, the time when I wanted to eat, I couldn't eat. And then I just started to eat garbage and I then started to track to see how it was moving. And I found it quite interesting. So um, I guess like very high glycemic foods all create the biggest spike yeah so in that scenario are you saying that you saw higher values than you were used to seeing Uh, well i hadn't used it before so i wouldn't have anything to compare it to but wow there's a movement here yeah and i was thinking because it was my first time i thought is this the way it's going to be on the other times um but when i tracked it at later times i noticed that there was a big difference yeah yeah Um, what would you say creates the biggest type of spike? Is there any particular types of foods that would create the biggest spike? Yeah, pretty much universally what I see is the biggest glucose spike is anything that's like a liquid form of sugar. So whether that's sweetened coffee, whether that's soda, whether that's juice, it doesn't really matter. No matter who you are, you're going to spike pretty high from that. And so that's different than a smoothie that kind of has all the components of fruit and vegetables in it, has some fiber and it's thicker. But this is just like straight up juice, straight up soda, straight up sweetened coffee. Um, Because it's already in that liquid form and it's usually pretty simple sugar added to it, just sugar added. It's, it's just already broken down. It's already digested and metabolized for you. So it's just a huge glucose spike right away. So that's usually universally the biggest thing. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There was one time I had um, a lot of food. Um, I was in a restaurant and I had like, it was a lot of fat <laughs> and a lot of refined carbs I don't think there was a single vegetable on my plate. <laughs> and um, I noticed that there was a spike, but it, it, it happened at a later time. It wasn't immediately. I ate very late. I think it was like 10, I don't know, 10.45 or something. Yeah. But the spike didn't actually happen until like hours later. And then it was slowly creeping up and up and up and up. And then it slowly went down, then it went up, then it went down. But the, qu- the question here is, why did it take so long before it actually started to creep up? Yeah, that's a pretty typical response we see from restaurant foods that are really big portion sizes or anything that's a, a large portion size, combi- like in combination of starch and fat. So 
like deep fried food, like if you ate a whole pizza, if you ate like creamy, starchy pasta, we usually see that response because all of that fat with the starch slows down digestion. And so the glucose doesn't get released for hours. Your body is slowly digesting all that fat. And then it's the glucose is getting released in bouts for hours. So a lot of times people will be like, oh, it's good because I didn't have this like huge spike, but it's actually a worse trend because for hours, then you're processing this meal and slowly releasing glucose. And so you're having this kind of elevated response for a long time. And it doesn't help that it was eaten late at night or when our body doesn't metabolize food of any sort as well. Is there any way to, I don't know, would digestive enzymes make a difference around that time? Let's say I had a, I don't know, a really strong digestive enzyme. Would that make a difference to my blood glucose? Maybe. I haven't seen that be done yet. It would be a super interesting experiment to try. You never know. Well, I do have some now. I didn't yeah. have it then, <laughs> but I do have some. So that would be something worth testing out then. I guess. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. One other thing I've noticed is um, I one time I had a bit of a, um, a craving for some sweet stuff, mm-hmm. but um, I didn't want to go for something bad. But I had um, I had quite a lot of fruit. Mm-hmm. I had some blueberries, some strawberries maybe one or two apples and about four bananas yeah and um the next day i was like oh man i'm gonna have to check isn't it so i scanned the monitor and i noticed that there was no spike i then scanned it again i was like no that must be wrong but there was no spike and i was like wow okay (laughs) i kind of cheat the system that's the way i felt (laughs) no Um, that's awesome what do you think what, what happened there exactly yeah, I think that's a really good way to exemplify that not our, all carbs are equal. Um, a carbohydrate is not a carbohydrate. We can't just reduce things to macros all the time. So something that's coming from a whole food, a whole fruit with fiber and all the other nutrients that come with it is not the same as eating the same amount of grams of carbohydrates from white rice or from bread or pasta. So our body processes these things differently and anything that's as closest to its natural whole state is going to be better and have a better glucose response than something that's refined or processed. Mm, Okay. It's a great way to hack the system. And once you kind of learn these tricks about yourself, you'll have better long-term health outcomes because you still kind of got the craving satisfaction that you were looking for without all the detrimental effects of if you had a bunch of cake or something instead. Yeah, exactly. So in terms of like insulin spikes, what does it, what happens in the body exactly? Why are spikes not recommended, would you say? Yeah. So in in our app, like you said, there is a range where we're kind of hoping that you don't get above this 140. But as you saw, you do every once in a while go above 140. If you went to a doctor's office in a traditional setting, if they took a random glucose and it was above 200, then they would be concerned. If it was two hours after a meal and it was 140 at that time, then they would be concerned. But we're holding to a higher standard of aiming for less than 140 most of the time. So this is for preventative health and health optimization as opposed to diabetes or not. So there's evidence that shows if you're hitting above that number over and over, you're more likely to develop diabetes. And it's also creating microvascular damage. So our blood vessels where the glucose is does not like it when our glucose gets too high. So it creates some inflammation, it creates some free radicals. And so every once in a while, that's okay. But if we're seeing those patterns repeated over and over, then we're increasing our risk of chronic conditions of all sorts. 
diabetes included, but also, you know, heart disease, hypertension, all of the kind of chronic conditions. Okay. All right. And what is the sort of number range, which is, um, yeah, is there a certain number where if you keep hitting that, then you could end up getting diabetes or is it just any spike whatsoever? Yeah, the goal is to stay below that 140 mark as much as possible. But if let's say, you know, you hit it once a day, but you're not going much above it and you're coming back down to normal pretty fast. I'm not too concerned. If right. somebody's hitting 140 five times a day, I'm pretty concerned. If somebody's hitting 200 once a day, I'm pretty concerned. So it's both the frequency and the magnitude that starts to get a little concerning. Mm. What about, what's your, what's your thoughts on the sweeteners? Because I've heard that some sweeteners, sweeteners can spike insulin. Mm. Uh, is that true? Is it not true? Yeah. There is a little bit of evidence that shows that it might still elicit an insulin response. So glucose is what you're measuring on the graph. And then insulin is the hormone that usually chases after glucose to bring it back down. And so there is some evidence that these artificial sweeteners do not increase your glucose, but then they still cause an insulin response because your body thinks that something sweet is coming in. So it's getting ready to metabolize it. So there is some evidence there. Um, my, what I always tell people with artificial sweeteners is we know if you really eat a lot of sugar already, we 100% know without any doubt that real sugar eaten in large quantities is bad for you. <laughs> We're not totally sure about some of the artificial sweeteners. So some of the natural forms like stevia are probably a little safer than something like aspartame. Mm. But, you know, the evidence has shown that they're proven to be safe. But again, there's no long term study. So it's kind of like, it's up to you. But we know real sugar is bad. So it's kind of a trade off. Um, if you're craving something sweet every once in a while, you know, maybe doing stevia or artificial sweetener every once in a while is probably not a big deal. If it's something where it's like five servings a day and it's more of a habit, then it starts to become probably more of a issue. Right. Where would honey fit in that category? Obviously it's natural, but it's sweet. It's sweet. Yeah. It's it's, blood sugar. Yeah. It's going to spike your blood sugar, just like any other sweetener. And so it does have a little bit more beneficial properties than just like table sugar because it has some, if it's natural, like local honey, you know, the store-bought honey is, you're probably not any better than doing table sugar, but (laughs) the natural local has some antioxidants, has some pollen. um, So it has a little bit more benefit, but it's still going to spike your blood sugar. It's still sugar at the end of the day. Right. Is there more chance of it going up and straight back down with with honey. I mean, I have it every once in a while. I don't go crazy on it or anything. Yeah. You're going to probably see a spike because it is just a really simple form of sugar, basically. What about other type of sweeteners, which are not artificial? Um, You've got erythritol and xylitol as well. What's your thoughts on that? Does that also create a spike? Those are called sugar alcohols. And so they're natural and they're not artificial, but our body don't, our body doesn't digest them properly. So that's why we don't get any calories from them or very little calories because our body's basically not digesting it. So for some people who have sensitive GI tract, they have a lot of issues with sugar alcohols because they're not digesting it. It can cause bloating and gas and pain. And so for those people, I would of course say, don't do that. But if it doesn't really bother you, I think it's the same as stevia where it's okay every once in a while. But any, any of those 
products that are not necessarily natural because we're not really supposed to digest them. I wouldn't say it's like an everyday habit kind of thing. It's something you mm-hmm. probably want to do. If, if you're having sweets every once in a while and you tolerate it fine, then that's fine. It's not a big deal, but. Okay, cool. What would be a generalized good practice to um, help you to have a bit more uh, metabolic flexibility? Is there anything else besides physical training that would help? Um, I don't know. Yeah, you can- definitely. For metabolic flexibility, um, training is huge because you're forcing your body to use these different systems, but also doing some fasting. So even just daily intermittent fasting, you know, kind of shortening that window of what you're eating can help your body forced to use its other reserves. So break down its glycogen or use fat for energy. Um, doing some extended fast every once in a while also can kind of kickstart that. And then just right. carbohydrate timing. Um, so when you said extended fast, like how long is an extended fast? Yeah, it ranges and there's not really, um, the research doesn't really say this is the best way to do it, but you start to get unique benefits from extended fast at about the three day mark. So it'd be somewhere from three to seven days. Yes. (laughs) It's real fasting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's the real fasting. Yeah. yeah. Does that mean like not even water or or yeah, you have water and calorie free beverages. So like tea most people are okay with like black coffee some people who are like really strict about extended fast don't even drink coffee but for most purposes you're going to get the same benefit from anything that's calorie free beverages calorie has to be calorie free so like a bulletproof coffee would fail that it would fail that technically yeah right what if you had some um some herbs in there would that still be all right that should be fine, yeah, because they're pretty much calorie-free. Some people will sip on some, like, low-calorie chicken broth to get some of that salt and electrolytes in case they're dehydrated from the fast, and that's usually fine. Oh, okay. Electrolytes with, yeah. the, you know, the extended fast. Okay, so um, there's, yeah, extended fast, um, resistance training, um and or intermittent fast, and you was gonna name some others. Yeah, carbohydrate timing can be helpful. So timing your bigger carbohydrate meals for when you can tolerate them better, like after a big workout or earlier in the day. And so, you know, if we're eating those carbohydrates later at night and we're not tolerating them as well, that can create some metabolic inflexibility because we're giving our body fuel that it's not really wanting to process that well. Mm. Those are the big ones for metabolic flexibility. Would um, sleep, uh, extra sleep do, or I don't know, sleep timing or anything like that, would would that have anything, any help? (laughs) It definitely impacts your glucose levels. Um, So our body basically perceives lack of sleep or poor sleep, so quality and quantity as a stressor. So it's the same response as if we're under a lot of mental stress or chronic stress and that our hormones get kind of dysregulated. So cortisol starts to shoot up. And then when cortisol is up, we're making more glucose because our body thinks, oh, we're in like this fight or flight mode and I need energy. Like, so we're making glucose. So fasting glucose tends to rise when we're stressed, whether from sleep or a fight we're having with someone or a work event. Um, So stress and sleep can really impact our glucose a lot. I've been told that eating around a time when you're stressed can also affect your blood glucose or something like that. It doesn't digest very well. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. A pattern I see often is people at lunchtime, they'll have a pretty healthy meal, but they're eating at their desk while they're reading emails and they're kind of stressed mode. 
and they'll have a huge glucose spike. And then they'll eat that same exact meal at a different time of day when they're at home with their family relaxing and there's no spike. And it's part of that cortisol release. So if we're in this like stressed mode, our body's not thinking about processing food, it's thinking about handling the stress. And so it's kind of this mismatch. So it's definitely important to think about mindful eating and being present when you're eating and just taking five minutes to just relax and enjoy your food. And that actually makes a big difference. What about um, drinking water when you eat? Does, does that help at all or is it not as good? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it probably helps a little just for general hydration, but it, it won't make a huge difference in either direction from what I've seen. Okay. Okay. Mm, I think that's as much as I need to know, really. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You are now an expert in glucose. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, hopefully this will be very informative for other people um, should they decide to uh, use one of these uh, CGMs as well. Um, Because, you know, at least, you know, those preventative measures is very important in order for long-term health benefits. Yeah, if you're doing something every day that you don't know is bad, like eating at your desk stressed or eating late at night, and then you do that for 15 years, that same pattern, that can really have some serious effects, but you don't really know that it's bad. So this is helping to kind of identify what you should and shouldn't be doing for the long term. Yeah. yeah. And also eating close to bed as well, I would assume. Um, would that even matter what time of day that is? Because um, I think it's mentioned you should give it at least three hours or something, maybe four. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but does that matter? Let's say, for instance, you sleep during the day. Would that window still be the same, about three hours? Obviously, if we're yeah. looking at, you know, circadian clock and all that sort of thing. Um yeah, yeah, if you sleep during the day every day, like you're just roll reverse all the time, then your body's probably pretty used to having that opposite circadian rhythm. And so it'd be the similar rule of three hours before your normal bedtime, whenever that is. But if you're kind of doing night shifts, day shifts, switching around, then your body is used to metabolizing during the day, even if sometimes you're sleeping during that time. So for shift workers, a lot of, um, you know, like nurses, doctors, that can be really tough because they can see kind of tough effects when they're working those night shifts, kind of hard on the body. Right, right. Very good. Well, Roger, it's been awesome um, having you and getting your feedback on CGM. Um, You know, if people would like to experiment on their own, they're welcome to join us at NutriSense um, and... Uh, I think you have a code within your bio. Is it within your links? Yeah, I'm not too sure what it is. Um, maybe Snipes 15 or something like that. <laughs> well, check yeah. uh, the link tree, I guess. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, this is proven to be very interesting for me. Um, and, you know, having one of those, it's almost like it gives you an accountability as well. Definitely. don't want it to spike you might look at the food and think mm, do i really want that <laughs> yeah i'll fail if i do and it's like yeah it goes against you um yeah it's been very useful and thank you guys for helping me out there super glad that you're you're finding it useful and uh looking forward to to hearing more of your experiments as you play around with it so yes yes um so that one had expired but i do have another one right here 
which I'll be putting on again very soon. And uh, no doubt you guys will get some updates on some crazy food that I'll be eating. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward yeah. to it. Great. Yeah. Thanks again. Right. Well, thank you. Hi guys, hope you enjoyed the video and I hope you found it very informative. So just remember, if you want to get yourself one of these CGMs, just click the link in my bio and use code ROGER and get yourself $20 off. All right, peace.